Turn your Bibles to Galatians, the fourth chapter. Galatians, the fourth chapter. You know, it is a amazing mystery that uh, we as Christians have been meeting now for 2,000 years. It actually predates that if you think about the Old Testament and their love of the Torah, their love of the covenant and the law. But here we are speaking in our context as Gentiles, as Christians, those who have the Holy Spirit abiding in their life as they have received Christ in salvation, that we gather together and we open up the Bible and we say, God, speak. Uh, our Sunday school teacher this morning uh, kind of alluded to the idea that God knows what it is we need to hear. You know, uh, the pastor doesn't follow any kind of lectionary. You know, I don't can't tell you what I'm going to preach two weeks from now or three weeks from now. I have done series before where I kind of knew that. But I'm not at that point right now uh, with you as a congregation. And so I don't know what I'm going to be preaching next Sunday. Just decided to follow the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when we open up His Word, this is what we need to hear today. And it's also a possibility it might not be something everybody needs to hear. That is actually designed for someone that's here. There is no wasted time in the scripture. There's no information that is old hat, redundant. It's, it's alive. It's reading. But one of the things that we bring on a Sunday morning is a desire to hear what God may say. And say to us, that takes some humility. Uh, for many, they go to church believing that what the preacher is preaching on I've heard sermons all my life. I'm in a good place spiritually at the moment. Uh, there's no crisis in my life. And so really I'm here just to be respectful, uh, to honor the fact that I'm a Christian and believing that a sermon is actually for someone else. No, we're supposed to come with the idea that God has something for you today. And I believe this sermon fits that category. I don't know of anybody that's here this morning that could not benefit from what Galatians, the fourth chapter, says. There's a phrase that Paul used as he speaks to the church at Galatia. He says, you're not a slave. Not anymore. Not since you have received Jesus, not since you have received the Holy Spirit, not since Pentecost, you're, you're no longer a slave. And then very simply says, quit acting like it. You know, you act like you have no power, that you uh, are making the same mistakes you've always made, that you're falling victim to the same things that everybody is. You act like you have no future. You act like you have no empowerment. Quit acting like a slave. 
You know, for many people, Christianity is simply a plan that is enacted or becomes effective when you die. You get a place in glory. You get a mansion on a hill. You get a place by the crystal sea. You know, it's sort of like insurance. Get saved, make sure you live well in the afterlife. But it makes no difference how we live now. That's wrong. That's short-sighted. That's foolish. Many of us are living much less lives than what we could live if we knew the truth of what our salvation gave us. That's why Paul is writing to the church of Galatians. He's reminding them of what has happened in their life. And, and the truth, as it says in your note sheet right in front of you, here's the completion of it. You must live like a child of the king who made everything. That's not just the line of a great gospel song. It's actually in the scriptures. You must live like a child of the king. He made everything. Satan is defeated. Yet you live like you're not a child of the king. In the natural. In the way the world operates. What you experience here on this earth as you walk it is somewhat based on the coincidence of your birth, who your parents are, what country you were born in, what financial status your family has. You know, you're born into a rich family, you experience wealth, you have something to look forward to, you, you get through nepotism, you get a good job, you, you get a job in the family business, you, you inherit the house where you grew up in. You know, it's, it's sort of set in stone. But if you are from nothing, if you're from a group of people who had no assets, no resources, you can look for poverty to repeat itself in another generation. For a long time in our country, the goal of everyone was to make sure my kids have more than I had. Well, statistically, you never break that mold. If you're from the middle class, you stay in the middle class. If you're from the wealthy class, you stay in the wealthy class. If, you, if you're born into poverty, you stay in poverty. Even in the good old U.S. of A. The country of freedom. In India, there's a caste system. If you're born an untouchable, if you're born somebody at the top class, you stay there, and of course their religion teaches that if you live well at the class you're at, when you are reincarnated, you'll get to move up a rung. You will no longer be an untouchable. If you live your life poorly, if you sin against people, if you're evil, you receive a demotion. And you say, that's hogwash, that's stupid. How many Christians believe that? It's the way the world operates. In the West, it's a socio-economic status, but it's static. But what does it represent, the class that you were born in? It means you have power or no power. You have position or no position. 
You have opportunity or no opportunities. David, I didn't come here for a lesson on social economics or, or any of that. Well, don't worry. I'm not going to give that lesson. I'm just pointing to the idea that it really is a fallacy in many of our minds. Uh, Paul's talking about that. That's why he uses the analogy he does about being a slave. You know what a slave was? You know, the United States and the Western world is not the only place that's had slavery. Every society's had slavery. Even in the Bible, when it says a slave, you know generally what it was? Somebody got in trouble financially trying to get out of the class they were born in. And when they owed money, they now were in servitude to somebody else because they owed money. And so they had to go work for somebody who determined what time you get up, what time you go to bed, what you're going to do, what days you can take off. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Slavery. The use of the word slave is intentional in the text we're about to read. The whole reason why I went down that category of what I just discussed is to remind you that here in the good old U.S. today where we are all about freedom, no, we still have bondage here too. Let's read it. Verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. Verse 1, you want to underline it because that's a statement, a condition. Verse 2, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Verse 2 gives you the exception. What's different about the slave and the heir? They live under the father's determination when they are ready to receive the inheritance. Verse 3. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive, here's the gift, the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his sons into your hearts, crying, here's an affectionate term, Abba, Father, Daddy. Verse 7, therefore, here's what you're supposed to do, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. There's a whole lot of doctrine there. And so many people read over it and go, boy, that was intelligent. I'm not sure what was there. It sounds philosophical. No, it is the condition of so many Christians. They're born again. They're a child of God. But they live like a slave. They don't live any differently. 
They suffer from the same bondage, issues, sin, worldview, but yet they are a child of the King. And what Paul is saying is, quit thinking like that. Your thinking is messed up. There was a country music artist a few years ago who wrote a song, I Think I Have a Thinking Problem. Remember that? In other words, and one of the things I tell you in AA, 12-step programs is, that stinking thinking. You're never going to get anywhere. You're never going to get free from this because you have stinking thinking. You're supposed to view this differently. If, if, if you could see this the way it actually is, what actually happened at your salvation, there'd be a whole world of opportunity opened up to you. You would see challenges a whole lot differently. You would see sin a whole lot differently. But you're still thinking like a slave, like a sinner. You know, when we look at the Bible, most people would say Jesus came to die on the cross that we would be able to go to heaven. But it doesn't say that. You know what it says? He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. That we might break free from the chains of bondage. That we would go from darkness to light. Yeah, we just want a place on the river in heaven. We don't want to go to hell. We, we want to go to heaven. Do not live under the delusion that freedom is the rule that everybody experiences. No, rather it's the exception. All the religions of the world promote bondage. Every single one of them have rules and expectations. They tried to say that about Christianity, but Christianity, the faith that you and I believe and have faith in, is the only religion, quote, that teaches us that we are free. You know, if you could go to a country that had no religion or their chief philosophy is that there is no God, that's atheism. If you go to those countries, those are the ones that have the greatest bondage. Let me mention a couple. Russia. China. This world is a place of bondage. Jesus came that we could have life, have it more abundantly, that we'd be free, that we shake loose from the bondage of this world, that our minds and our thinking would be different, that we would see the light, that our minds would not be darkened, that we'd have revelation, that our steps would be ordered, that we'd know how to pray. But so many... <laughs> You know, I'm not picking on anybody, and I'm not saying that I am completely there. But we live as if 
We don't know what's available to us. Paul says something other that whether you are with me thus far in this sermon or not, he says, stop living like an underage heir. Not many of you are in that category. But can you imagine if your daddy was rich? And you're growing up in his house? I mean, daddy's got power. He's got businesses galore. He's got property. And you're living in his house. And you're just like the kid that you're growing up with who works for your father. But you're not the same. You could be like the story that Jesus told of the prodigal. The prodigal said, I want what's coming to me now. Give it to me. He wasn't even the oldest son. I want what's coming to me now. I want to enjoy life while I'm here. I don't know why. It is a story. Jesus told but the father decided okay there you go how did he live you know what the word prodigal is it's not the Bible's description of him it's called the lost son in the Bible but somewhere down the road some writer some commentary some theologian decided to call him a prodigal prodigal means reckless unprepared to handle what he had been given. His eyes on the world. In other words, his mind was not mature enough to handle what he's been given. And the end results of that was he was in a far country, far away, having wasted everything that he had been given on partying, found himself making foolish decisions, people took advantage of him, he finds himself working at a pig farm and eating with the pigs. Now he's in bondage. Yet, he was a child of the king. That's the reason why verse 2 is there. What did it say? But we live as under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. We, we're not mature enough spiritually to handle the responsibility and the wealth that is ours. Meaning that if we want what God has for us, we need to be more mature, wise, and to want the Father's knowledge and wisdom and not just His wealth. That's the problem. So many people only call themselves Christians because of the advantage it 
they think it gives them. They don't want the responsibility. They don't want they want the privileges, but they they don't want the responsibility of being a child of the king. The age in our society for being an adult is 18. In fact, uh, there is an attorney present. But the idea is that in this society, there was an appointed time that was appointed only by the Father. When you are able to handle what is His to give to you. His abundance, His strength, His power. But yet, if you're bitter because you don't have it yet, you don't realize you're supposed to want His wisdom, to want His kingdom, to want His will accomplished. Then you would receive the privileges of a king. But right now, we're living down here in this world. We're vulnerable to darkness. We are unable to overcome even the smallest of battles. But the real tragedy is we're content remaining children. We've got to grow up and experience the responsibilities. Then we've received the privileges of being an heir of the king. Let me say this. Maybe it's taking it too far. It is dangerous to call yourself a Christian to have this Bible and the truths that are here to go to church and hear it taught and then live like you want to. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Because God sees you as his child. And he's concerned about your maturity. And if it takes discipline to bring you to maturity, he'll discipline you. If it is letting you go out there and hang yourself for a bit and experience pain, he's willing to let that happen. It's still in his control. He'll only let it go so far. But you're his child. People have often asked, why do bad things happen to good people? Martin Luther said this, and it's always puzzled me, but at the same time made my jaw drop. That's right. Here's what Martin Luther said. The devil, he's just a tool in God's tool shed. Think about that for a minute. God will actually allow you to be suffer at the hands of the devil some so that you'll do exactly what the prodigal son did because you remember the prodigal son 
he has this moment when he's sitting there in the pig pen eating slop with the pigs. I had it good in my father's house. What am I doing here? Remember the son then decided it's time to eat a little crow. It's time to negotiate something. And remember what the son said. He says, it would be better to be a slave in my father's house than to be in this situation. And so, it's a story that Jesus told, a parable, but I think we can do this without destroying the, the content. But he's walking back to his father's house and he's rehearsing some sort of speech that says, I'm sorry, uh, can we work this out? I know I blew the inheritance. I'm not looking for an inheritance anymore. I just want to be in your house. Can you imagine him saying that? Because you know the story as well as I do. But what he did is when he's going home and he's just inside of the gates of his father's nice home, it's just as when he's approaching that and he's going there, he sees his father is running to him. And he's got his speech ready. He's rehearsed it several times. And he approaches his father. And his father is excited to see him. And you know what his father said? My son, who was lost, is now found. And what did he do? He brought the robe. He brought the seal, the ring. And he says, we're going to throw a party. That's what God wants to do for us. You see, when he says he was lost, he's now found, was he now wants what I want, sees things the way I see it, and he's prepared to mature. There was a son that stayed home. That's actually what the story's about, by the way. Not the one that went off. That was just to get you to the point. There was one son who stayed home, who was upset that his younger brother got the inheritance. And now, that son comes home, and you're throwing him a party? That's not fair! He says, look at me. I did exactly what I was supposed to do. And we're on a time frame because when I get 18, or when I get 21, or when I finally get your blessings, I'm going to take your money. But he says, the son that now has my heart, that has the maturity that I can bless, is here. He received the discipline of the Father. He allowed the world to punish him. He had, he thought he was free when he had money. Then he got out there and found out that's only limited freedom. True bondage was up here. But maturity is not a safe place to be. So you got to make yourself responsible for your spiritual journey. Jesus had one intention when he died on the cross. 
to set you free from the bondage of this world. Do I need to remind you what it says in John the 8th chapter, verse 32? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? Set you free. The truth will set you free. What is that truth? Here's what the whole sermon's been about. Knowing the truth of your identity. I'm a child of the King. Here in the now, this very moment, God has a plan. We could all be living at such a much higher level of experience. There are so many things that plague our minds and our hearts and our experiences that we really don't have to experience. It's all because we're not mature enough. That's what prayer is about. Prayer is not about bringing your complaints and your 911s to God. It's about, God, what do you see when you look at my life? The situation I'm confronting, what do you see? What do I need to do? How do I need to respond to this in a spiritually mature way? God always answers that. God always directs our path. As we walk with him, God's blessings. You know, I'm 57 years old. I'll be 58 this December. And I'm starting to have these moments in my life now when I realized my daddy was a pretty smart guy. Things he had told me. And I'm doing something other right now that kind of makes me shrug my shoulders. I'll say the same things he said to me when I was in his house. I go, wow! Some metamorphosis. I wasn't mature enough to hear it back then. I'm mature enough to hear it now. How many of you always listen to what God tells you and on the first attempt do exactly what he tells you to do? Nobody, okay. How many of you have to fail first? That's a lot of us. Sometimes we even repeat the same mistake twice, don't we? Or multiple times. Do you think he stops loving you when you fail? No. We learn by the mistakes we make, just like the prodigal son. But the biggest thing that we've got to learn, we've got to stop living like a slave who has no choices. He died on the cross so that sin does, have, does not have any more bondage on us. We are free. We can say no. All we have to do is listen to the Holy Spirit. When we sin as Christians, we have said no to who? The Holy Spirit. We've quenched the Spirit. We now have a disobedience issue with the Holy Spirit. And until we do what? Until we confess that and repent that, we've still got an issue over here. Often the silence of God in our life is Him waiting for us to come back to the last time He spoke to us when we failed to do what He told us to do. He loves us. He's our parent. This is a relationship we have with God 
We're his children. He's our father. Those who are outside are not in the family of God. It's those that are in this family covenant relationship. He made us. He adopted us. That's what it says right here in what you just read. As his sons. And at the appointed time, he's going to give us everything that he has. He wants us to experience some of that right now. I'm going to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye closed. One of the things that in the church we always need to be mindful of is that every time the word is read, it requires a decision. If uh, in the hearing of the word, you kind of felt some conviction, you felt that there's something you need to correct about your thinking or about your behavior, there's something you need to repent of, you're held accountable for that. You need to respond somehow. Now, walking the aisle of the church is, is how we traditionally do it, or coming to the altar and praying. Those are very good steps that require humility, which is a part of repentance. Confessing Him before men is, is, is in Scripture. All those are good things. But for so many of us, we go to church week after week, and we don't want anybody to think we're weak-minded. We don't want to be at the altar every Sunday. But never. You know, if you walk this faith long enough, uh, people will begin to respect your understanding of the scripture and your faithfulness to the church. And Satan would have you believe that you got to maintain that facade. Everything is all right about my life. You know, I'm living my life well. I'm living my life pleasing. But all along, you know, you're suffering in some area. One of the things that we're praying for in this church is revival. Revival is not just more people coming to church. Revival is actually an internal process in the church of those who attend. The growth comes from people who are on fire inside the church because they have been revived. And we just want to skip to the end results, having a full sanctuary. Are you there with me? As one of you, God, stir something up inside of my life this morning, this week. I want, I want something to burn in my desire to actually want to live out these things that we're reading in Scripture. The reward is, is that when we actually say that with sincerity in our heart and it really represents where we're at spiritually and we surrender to it, God rewards obedience. Bible says He rewards obedience. We keep thinking if we pray about it long enough and believe it, it'll happen. No, He rewards obedience. That's what we all need to be looking for as a church. You individually, me as a pastor, us as a congregation. What step of obedience is God asking of us? Of me? When I'm obedient, His rewards out of the wealth of who he is, out of the wealth of the kingdom. 
His promises are there waiting for us to be obedient so He can give them what He's promised. That's what we need to be seeking Him for.